Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm uh, so happy to be working with my uh, colleagues, uh, Corey Schuler and Craig Turner on this initiative. Uh, for those of us who were born and raised here in Niagara, crossing the border is as natural as drinking water or uh, breathing air. Yesterday marked the one year anniversary of the first COVID case in Canada. Our Canada-US border has now been closed for 10 months. This is unbelievable, but we are living in unbelievable times. We're so pleased uh, to be able to have this dialogue today and again next week about the impact of the closure, how we're coping and adjusting, and what may be on the horizon. We have a diverse panel for both days, and I'm very interested in hearing their thoughts and their insight. So Craig, I'll uh, throw it to you to get the conversation started. Thanks, Dolores. Uh, thanks everyone for being here. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, my name is Craig Turner. I'm uh, president of World Trade Center Buffalo, Niagara. Uh, as Dolores said, uh, very pleased to present uh, today's program and next week's program with our partners. Um, uh, Dolores with the South Niagara Change of Chambers of Commerce and Corey with the Niagara USA Chamber of Commerce. Uh, looking at the registration list, I'm very pleased. It seems like a really good mix of all three organizations. So um, I encourage you, whether it's etiquette or not, if you see people on the uh, on the side that you'd like to say hi to, go ahead and chat to them privately and say hello. We got to make we got to get the best out of uh, the networking opportunities we have in in the virtual environment. Um, and we just wanted real quick, just wanted to talk about. Uh, note two things about event planning, which is which is very interesting. Obviously, we um, uh, you know we've moved everything to to virtual and aren't really doing in person events right now, uh, which is interesting today because with this storm blowing in that we're all experiencing right now, the possibility is we might have canceled today's event or lost most of our people. So uh, there are some pluses to what we're what we're doing here. The other thing that's interesting is. Uh, we scheduled these two events, I'd say kind of randomly, just looking at mine and Corey's and Dolores's uh, schedule and seeing what works. And little did we know that we were going to plant both sessions right in uh, President Biden's 14-day window for uh, uh, to, to have a plan on, on opening the border. So um, the timing of what we're do, trying to do here is, is perfect, and, and we appreciate you being here with us. So the purpose of the series is really to, to have a dialogue about the about the border, which has been closed to non-essential travel for for some time now, and and uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, we broke the session into two parts. Today is what we're calling a loosely a state of the border. We're going to talk about where we are, uh, um, what we've experienced, and 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 some ideas for where to go from here. Next week, next Tuesday, same time will be, uh, we have border users. Uh, so the, the purpose of that session is to get into a little bit more about how we've managed it and how, what, what innovations have taken place and, you know, from the private sector and, and the user side on the border and some feedback from them on, on what, we, what we need to see going forward. Uh, we have three really great panelists today. We have Anthony Annunziata, who is the president of Tourism Niagara Canada. We have Dr. Kate Friedman, uh, who's Global Fellow for Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars and closer to home, the Research Associate Professor of Law and Planning at the University of Buffalo. Uh, and we have Ron Reines, who's the General Manager of the Peace Bridge Authority. We're, we're, we're thrilled to have all three of them and are really looking forward to their perspective. Some quick housekeeping. Uh, we're going to keep everybody on mute except for the speakers. Um, yeah, this will be a moderated discussion, but we're not going to wait until the end to do the Q&A. 
if you have a question, uh, we want to we get it out while the topics are on the table. So if you have a question, uh, feel free to drop it in the chat window. I'll keep an eye on the chat window and try and work the questions right into the, into the dialogue. We're going to get moving because we're going to try and get everybody done at 3 o'clock, like we said. Um, we are recording for playback. Um, so it, it'll be available later for, um, uh, for you to revisit or to share or whatever you need it for. Um, with that being said, I would like to uh, turn it over to our speakers to kind of just give an intro of themselves and get us started. And we will do uh, ladies first. Kate. Oh, hi. Um, well, good afternoon. Uh, Catherine Friedman, uh, a Global Fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center and Research Faculty at the University of Buffalo. Hi, Ron. You want to do a quick intro, Ron? Sure. Uh, this is Ron Reines. I'm the general manager at the uh, Peace Bridge Authority. And Anthony? Yeah, and I'm Anthony Nunziata. I'm the uh, president and CEO of uh, Tourism Niagara. And uh, one of the key reasons we're on the call here is obviously as a, as a sector uh, that has been absolutely decimated by the uh, uh, lack of interaction between our two countries is, is something pretty significant to uh, to everybody on the call. Excellent. Thanks to all three of you. Anthony, I'm going to I'm going to come right back to you and, and continue right on. Um, I, I want to kind of kick things off today by I take a snapshot look on, uh, on where we are in the situation from your perspective. We have tourism, we have the bridges, and then we have uh, Kate works on the, the bigger picture for the for the region. Uh, start us off. What have you seen? What are you What are you seeing right now? What are you working on on a daily basis relative to the uh, the current border situation? Well, it's a it's a good question. I don't know that there's anything individually that uh, I can say or anyone probably can say that they're working specifically on the border situation. I mean, we're all advocating for the fact that uh, public health is a priority and. And uh, I can tell you here in Ontario, my conversations with the ministers and with the premier's office uh, have been uh, a priority around health and public health. Uh, currently, we're in a lockdown scenario in Ontario, meaning that there's no there's travel bans for everybody in Ontario to uh, prevent people from leaving the province, uh, which is a pretty significant uh, scenario. And the metrics uh, for that science-based decision was the fact that uh, uh, Ontario has only so many ICU beds that it can accommodate uh, with respect to COVID cases. And until that is under control, we're going to be in a lockdown scenario. Uh, I have had conversations with various ministers uh, specifically around basically public health policy, uh, around the border, uh, things that I think can create some opportunities for travel. Uh, as you know, uh, the, the, the airports have, have always been open uh, between our two countries in terms of flying in. And I've advocated that I can't, and I don't understand the difference between someone arriving by airplane or someone arriving by vehicle in terms of the, the condition of the individuals when they arrive. And, and certainly the only issue then is, is testing. So whether they present uh, a vaccination record or they present uh, a temperature check or we get into uh, scenarios like rapid testing. There is scenarios that I can envision that would allow us to, at least from a North American perspective, allow travel within North America. Ron, a lot of what uh, Anthony's talking about happening uh, 
would take place on a plaza that you that you run. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you know what you're seeing? And and I should mention before before we go to Ron, um, all three of our panelists served on a panel that we did back in May. So this is kind of a revisit, and I'm I'm very curious to compare the you know, compare the two when, when, you know, now that we have, uh, you know, more than half a year under our belts of this, where, what the, what the differences in policymaking are. But Ron, can you talk a little bit about uh, the bridge, the bridges, uh, if you want to represent Niagara Falls Bridge Commission as well, and, and, uh, and, and where they are? So, so what we're seeing at the Peace Bridge and at the Niagara Falls Bridges is basically a return to almost normal for commercial traffic. Um, for the year, we were only down 5%, um, which is actually pretty good given the fact that in April, May, we were down about 25% in commercial traffic. So we ended the year only about 5% down from what we had in 2019. Um, car traffic, however, uh, is not deemed essential unless you happen to be working in one country or the, or the other. So car traffic is down 90% or more at the Niagara Falls bridges because the Niagara Falls bridges are more heavily reliant on, on, on tourism. So the impact of all of that, of course, has been a tremendous revenue hit on the bridge authorities. Uh, generally, we've seen our revenues cut by a third. Not only is it the loss of toll revenue, but it's also the loss of duty-free rental revenue because obviously they don't have uh, any business as, as well. So that has resulted in us deferring millions of dollars worth of capital construction. Um, we've actually had a 30% reduction in staff compared to what we normally would have at this time of, of year. And we've eliminated all but the very most essential of, of, of all of our expenditures. So, so we've taken a pretty tremendous hit and it's been somewhat frustrating, um, particularly from the perspective that um, airports have seen some assistance from the federal government uh, in terms of uh, they are also concessions, if you will. Uh, they've received some relief. We have not received any relief from the from the federal government, which is a little bit frustrating, particularly given our commitments that we have to make to the federal government under under the Customs Act, whereby we provide all the services to the government of Canada at no at, at no charge. But just adding on to what Anthony was talking about in terms of reopening the border, we are getting more and more a sense of anger and frustration from particularly our American customers who own properties in Canada. Um, they see a, a, a high degree of unfairness in the sense that Canadians can go down to their condos in Florida, but they can't cross the land border to go to their residence in, in, in Canada. So there's a high degree of frustration over, over that and anger, quite, quite frankly, saying, you know, what, what really gives? And all of them have indicated, you know, whatever it takes, should there be some testing at the border or some type of commitment that they don't travel at, that they do some sort of even quarantine within their summer residences. But certainly there has to be something done for people that own property on, on either side of the border to make it easier. And it's not just people that own condos in, in Florida, um, but you know, a lot of Canadians also have places, ski chalets in Ellicottville and you know, all of those types of cross-border connections are, are impacted by that. So certainly some form of a testing regime or some kind of uh, vaccine passport, if you will, is something that's gonna have to be put in place relatively quickly because what we're also hearing is that people are already 
making their plans or canceling more appropriately said their summer tourism plans because of the uncertainty as to what's happening at the border. So people that would normally be booking a cottage um, along the lake or up north in the Muskokas, for example, they're simply not doing it because um, there's so much uncertainty related to what could actually happen at the border. All of which impacts, even if the border were to reopen within the next few months, all of that is already now impacting how much border traffic we'll see during the summer of 2021. So um, really, I think there needs to be more of a science-based approach to what the risks actually are to reopening the border. I agree 100% with Anthony when he says that what's the difference between someone arriving in an airplane and someone arriving in a, in, in, in a car. Um, even in the airports, when in my discussions with the airport authorities, um, there have, they have a great deal of frustration with the government as well, because the science has shown that only 1% of air travelers are deemed to be um, COVID, COVID positive which is much less than the 6% or 7% positivity rating that, 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 that's right now common in the, in, in the community. So all of these things, I think, again, lead to a requirement that the governments really take more of a science-based approach and a risk-based approach to reopening the border. Thanks, Ryan. And I, I'm sure we're gonna, I know there's uh, some folks on the call that are, that are um, in the group that you mentioned, the, the property owners, uh, who haven't been able to get to their property. Kate, let me, uh, let me bring it to you and have you uh, kind of kick off your piece here. Uh, you um, are not only plugged into what's going on here in the region, but also across the, across the, across the U.S. northern border and the Canadian southern border. Um, can you just bring us up to speed on, on uh, what you're looking at on a daily basis here? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Craig. Um, and again, sort of, um, building off of what both Anthony and, and Ron suggested, the um, freight flows, the, the, the fact that Canada and the United States allowed freight to continue to flow across the border, quite frankly, in, in my view, really averted what could have been a catastrophe, right? So, so that, was, that was great. Um, the fact that passenger flows have um, you know, been uh, so restricted uh, really is having an impact on cross-border regional economies all along the 49th parallel. Uh, I, along with five other researchers, are um, doing some work for the Canadian consulate and the Canadian government trying to quantify the economic impacts of the border restrictions in the communities across the border. And um, just so that some of you are aware, I'll probably be reaching out to you in the next few weeks to um, get your stories because policymakers are really interested in, uh, uh, you know, quant quantifiable, yes, data, important, but also the, the stories that aren't necessarily amenable to, you know, data that we get from the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. And so they really want to hear stories from business owners and stakeholders in the trenches, like those property owners who are having difficulty um, in the current environment with regard to the border restrictions. So, so um, that, you know, I absolutely reinforce what I think both Anthony and Ron had said. Um, in terms of like some of the bigger picture policy that is taking place, you know, I, I'll be honest, prior to 
President Biden's executive order coming out on Thursday, I think my message would have been um, a little uh, dark, <laughs> a little gloomier. Um, I have to say, I, I worked with some folks over the summer um, and was very, uh, I was very much advocating for the, if uh, Biden-Harris administration were to be elected, I was very much advocating for the northern border and the southern border, quite frankly, to be, to bubble to the top in the first 100 days. Um, at that time, I was not confident at all that the northern border would have appeared in anything coming out of the administration in the first 100 days. And lo and behold, on Thursday in one of President Biden's executive orders, he specifically um, ordered the Department of State in conjunction with DHS, CDC, and the Department of Transportation to come up with a plan um, to implement um, appropriate public health measures at both the northern and southern border. Uh, they have 14 days. Well, now they have less than 14 days, right? What is today, Tuesday? So help me figure that out, 10 maybe? <laughs> they, they, have to, they have to turn around a plan pretty quickly. Um, they have until next week, Thursday. And, you know, to that will set forth um, appropriate public health protocols um, at the border. So, uh, whereas, you know, you can certainly view that as a layer of bureaucracy, I'm viewing it as a really significant step. And I'm, I'm encouraged that it's taking place now. I think we have to sort of monitor that in conjunction with a bill that was passed in December by then President Trump. Um, and that uh, requires non-intrusive inspection of both commercial and passenger vehicles at the border. And, and um, I, think, I think it's really interesting because that, and, and it, with regard to that bill, I believe that the Department of Homeland Security has to have a plan to have non-intrusive inspection technology in place along the border, I think within like six months, so say by June. And again, that's just a plan. The executive order that came out uh, last week, Thursday, is a plan. But I think we have to kind of watch both of those and see how they move their way through the system, you know, quite frankly, to see how someone like Ron is going to put the appropriate public health protocols um, in place uh, quickly when that window opens. That being said, so that's like everything sort of happening on the US side, just today, um, you know, the prime minister has indicated, um, Prime Minister Trudeau has indicated that he, his um, government is going to implement more restrictions on travel in and out of Canada. There were no specifics provided, um, but you know, Canada, the Prime Minister, the government, uh, the Trudeau government is taking um, the pandemic extraordinarily seriously and trying to restrict travel. So we've got you know these different these different um, administrative and governmental uh, actions all in the mix, all taking place that. Um, that you know we we have to watch and uh, you know 
Well, I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that for now. Well, that's good because I'm going to come right back to you because I want to pick up on something that you that you said there um, uh, about the advocacy piece and needing to hear from businesses, needing to hear from uh, you know border crossers, because you know we have 37 people on here right now that I'm assuming most everybody on here is interested in the border being open in some way. But if we tweak the language for this discussion and some of the speakers to focus on the health aspects, we might have filled the room with people who don't want the border open. That was a problem that we came you know, in the spring and summer last year. We came up against that is that as much advocacy as there was on the on the business and the border crossing side, there were as many people there were there were town board resolutions being passed saying we do not want the border open. How where is that now? Is there have you as you're talking to people, are you seeing any momentum on the on the um, on the business side? So from my perspective, and, and you know, I, I would be really interested in what both Anthony and, and Ron have to say. Um, uh, from my perspective, that they're really, these plans will be in place, you know, when, when required, um, which again, I think is great because when that policy window opens, there'll be momentum and, you know, we'll be able to move forward. But in my view, nothing is going to happen until that pandemic gets under control, whatever that means on both sides of the border. And I think that um, uh, uh, having a vaccine is a tremendous step forward, uh, but you know, we're seeing challenges with regard to the distribution of the vaccine, at, you know, at least in the United States. So I think it's going to still be, um, Sometime, I, I, I think that both governments are going to, well, the Trudeau government and the Biden administration are going to have to be, have a, have a real sense of confidence that the, they're starting to get the pandemic under control. And, you know, from my, I think it's fascinating, um, you know, from an international relations perspective that, you know, you have the National Security Council, right? you know, saying that getting the pandemic under control and getting the domestic um, economy back um, up and running is like the number one priority. That's, you know, coming out of the NFC, yet, you know, we never would have seen that sort of crossing of domestic and international policy or domestic and foreign policy years ago. So there really has been a little bit of a shift. Anthony, let me pitch that same question to you. Is there, is there enough volume on the, uh, because, it, and again, it's not the question, I think, given everything Kate just said, and, and, and I agree with, is that, that health still comes first, but the move towards let's get both sides talking and let's come up with a solution. Is there enough volume on the advocacy side to get that to happen? You know, let me, let me just premise the fact that, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody any political jurisdiction, whether it be local, regional, provincial, or federal, that wants the border open uh, now uh, with the conditions that exist. So there's no, there's, there's no mistaking the message that the border's closed for a reason and it's a public health issue. That said, I think unless there is some form of, of response, and I say a public health response, to allow for the travel to occur in a manner that allows politicians to look at it and say there's a res responsible public health practice in place to then provide for this, 
then I think you can get those voices. For example, I shared with you on, a, on, a, on another call that in New York State, you know, the governor uh, allowed for the rapid testing to attend the Buffalo Bills games. Um, I thought that was an interesting scenario because it provided for a, a, a gathering within uh, a sporting event uh, with numbers that are absolutely not even talked about here in Ontario or in Canada, uh, but provided a solution. In Kansas City, you saw the numbers. You know, and I looked over at someone and said, the virus isn't different in Kansas City as it is in Ontario or in Canada, but they're providing for some solutions for public gatherings. And I think if there's some solutions brought forward, there's some opportunities. I'm not suggesting the borders are going to be open without those, but I think if you're going to create a conversation at all, it has to start with some public policy around public health. And in the absence of that, there isn't going to be any consideration to open the borders, period, uh, from anybody. But uh, as you know, and I know, there hasn't been one, one bit, and then obviously I understand the, the presidential uh, order that came out of, out of uh, uh, the Biden administration on Thursday. But at the end of the day, un unless there's an action plan around public health to provide for that, you know, you're, you're not going to see any advocacy or any support for it. So, Ron, what what is there to build off of here? Because we've got, you know, we talk about the commercial is still crossing the border, but there's still people attached to those border crossings. Um, and then there's essential border crossings, again, albeit way lower than they, they normally are. So what maybe bring every can you bring everybody up to speed on like what's in place now? And, and are there are there uh, processes and routines available that that uh, that we can build off of and kind of fulfill some of the solutions that Anthony's talking about? Well, and and that's the point. There are people crossing, thousands of people crossing, every day, um, and really the only thing that's different for them today than it was pre-pandemic is that there's some extra questions being asked at the primary inspection booth which takes a little bit of time, but it doesn't really matter because the numbers are, are, are lower. Um, so, and, and that's the fact, these people are crossing. There is no testing of these people. And I agree with both uh, Catherine and Anthony, the border's not gonna open up anytime soon unless there's some kind of a scientific based testing regime or some form of documentation that indicates that you've been fully vaccinated. Um, only when those things are in place will there be a full reopening uh, of the border. But again, it has to be a, a, a risk-based approach um, as you know, rapid testing exists, but there's a lot of frustration, for example, that Canada only accepts the PCR test, does not accept the, uh, the rapid testing for returns, re returns to Canada. Well, if that's going to be the policy decision, the, then that's not gonna work at the border because it has to be more of a, a, a rapid test. So those are the kinds of things. And, I, th and I, I think the real point that has to be made is that has to be talked about now because waiting until um, three, four months down the road um, and talking about opening the border, we should really talk about what would happen if the border were to reopen next week? What would the what would the conditions have to be for next week so that you can actually come up with some testing policies or some um, passport type policies or vaccination passport policies 
I'll give you an example. Uh, many people remember initially when the next when the Nexus cards came out. Um, Nexus cards were not accepted at airports. What was accepted at the airport was a passport. So your Nexus information was swiped from your Nexus card onto the magnetic strip on your passport. And that allowed you to travel at airports, particularly in the, in, in the US with, with a Nexus card, even though you didn't have a Nexus card. So could not the public health agencies that work in Ontario and New York state, if you have a vaccination, could that information not be transferred to the passport offices and that information then be swiped onto your passport when you, when you go in and that would then give you a, a vaccine passport to cross the border, to go on an airplane. But no point in talking about that three months from now. That should be talked about now to see if that's actually a viable solution. Just as an example. I, can I just say, sure. I can't, Ron, I, I, I think that point needs to be emphasized again and again and again, because you're, you're absolutely right. When the opportunity presents itself, when it seems as if both countries have the, um, uh, the virus under control, that's not, that's not the time to like start having the conversations and putting forth these ideas. And in my humble opinion, I think the ideas should come from folks in the trenches, folks, you know, like the sponsors of today's um, uh, uh, webinar, Anthony Ron, uh, and, and, and get those to policymakers so that they are practical and realistic and based in, on, in experience. Kate, I wanna, I wanna stick with you. Um, and hopefully I don't put you in the spot with this question. Great lead in, huh? Um, I think most of us on the call would probably agree that the likelihood of these conversations taking place is greater now than it would have been in December, given the leadership of the two countries and their relationships. However, when uh, President Biden announced his 14-day window last week, uh, I think a lot of us expected that there would be a reciprocation that, yes, let's talk. And, and, and instead, what happened was uh, a a, a shutdown across, uh, you know, across uh, further limitations on the Canadian side, especially on travel. Uh, can you, what do you make of that? What, what, what do you, where do you see that going from here, having had the conversations you've had over the past year uh, across the border? Yeah, so like any relationship, it's complicated, right? <laughs> it's, it's complicated. Um, Look, you know, the, there's certainly, in, in my view, there has been a reset. Uh, the fact that um, the first phone call that President-elect Biden received was from the prime minister. The fact that his first phone call with the foreign leader when he was elected uh, was with the prime minister. Um, the fact that uh, President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau apparently have a very close personal relationship, which I don't think that you can underestimate. Those are all um, indicators of the Canada and the United States um, resetting the relationship and operating in a different way um, than the past four years. However, as you just pointed out, uh, you know, uh, they're not going lockstep, 
right? And, you know, uh, the um, President Biden um, nixed Keystone. He implemented um, Buy America again with no Canadian exception. So, you know, there are areas where Canada and the United States will continue to have um, disagreements and perhaps divergence in policy. That being said, uh, I, um, I think that, uh, that to have separate approaches to the border would just be ridiculous, right? I, I, I think that Canada and the United States are going to have to engage in you know, some you know, good diplomacy in order to figure out how to open up the Northern border at a time um, based upon science um, at, a, at a time that's appropriate. And, and you know, when that is, I, I have, you know, I obviously have no way of knowing, but, but I, I do think that the reset in the relationship means something um, that, but, you know, they both have an interest in getting the border opened once the pandemic is under control. Thanks, Kate. Uh, if anyone has any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. Uh, Anthony, I want to I talk a little bit about tourism because tourism is really taking a beating uh, through all of this, especially in our area. Um, and we're going to hear from uh, Pat Whalen, I know who's on the call today too, uh, to talk about the, the U.S. side uh, next week. But uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, maybe we're calling this the state of the border, can you talk a little bit about the state of tourism in our area and maybe what... Um, what companies are doing to really make sure that when this is over, uh, they, they still exist and they still <laughs> they're still in business and and uh, uh, and ready for resumption of life. <laughs> yeah, I, um, look, I mean, there's no underplaying the fact that there's a lot of frustration with operators uh, because they are ready to go. Uh, they've been ready to go for months. Uh, the reality is uh, Ontario, Niagara, the country of Canada make, made a commitment to public health. Uh, a lot of sacrifices have been made uh, to provide and support the public health policy. Niagara and, and, and is no different than the rest of the jurisdictions and have committed to that scenario and have shut down events preventing uh, tourists from gathering uh, in a non-responsible manner. Because I think at the end of the day, they want to put public health first, and Niagara wants to put public health first. So there's a lot of there's a lot of willingness to move forward, but only under conditions that provide and put public health first. Nobody wants people to get sick, and no one wants frontline people to get sick. So I can say unequivocally that Niagara, its mayors, and its its uh, provincial leadership in, in Ontario are 100% committed to public health, and and despite the sacrifices, whether it's the tourism sector or other sectors that are affected by it, uh, that's the consequence of, of putting that priority forward. Now that said, uh, are there support mechanisms in place to hopefully uh, provide for that recovery? We hope so. Uh, we're advocating uh, dramatic or, you know, uh, I would say with, with vigor, uh, our, our conversations with the province and the federal government to, to do that. That's going to, of course, happen when airlines start opening up and airports opening up and the borders opening up and, and large gatherings being able to occur again. As you know, you know uh, that cross-border uh, uh, relationship is absolutely critical because the populations are interchangeable in terms of who attends 
large sporting events or attend theater events or attend concert events. Uh, those things seem to be so far behind us uh, that, that we've almost forgotten what they're like. Casinos are closed. I mean, all these, all these different scenarios that we've so, I guess, for, forever took for granted have now been taken away. So has that all been affected? Yes. Uh, uh, there's a remarkable, I think, uh, commitment on behalf of the operators to stay in business uh, and, and grind their way through this. But yeah, I mean, uh, there has to be, and I, and I, and I echo the sentiment, we do need to intervene to some degree to advance some of the public health concerns. If that's vaccine passports, if that is rapid testing on a, on a, on a basis where both countries can agree on a standard, or that is temperature check, whatever that might be, we need to move forward with some processes, public health processes that will allow us to move forward. Uh, un until we do that, we're gonna be sitting here waiting uh, for these outcomes. And as you know, when you talk about the delivery of the vaccine in the United States being some problems, you know, in Canada, they stopped arriving with the vaccine. Uh, they're not even delivering them. So there's so much, there's so many problems on the delivery side that they're not talking about getting everybody really vaccinated to herd immunity in Canada till the end of September. So, I mean, we're a long way from the end of September. It seems to me on the advocacy side, there's there's a there's a plea that goes along with it from the from the business community, which is we'll do we'll do what it takes, just get us open, similar to what you know what restaurants have done. They've made these changes to you know to seating and to spacing spacing and things. Um, Ryan, let me let me come to you. One of the things I, I do want to talk about is I made the joke at the beginning about our you know our move to virtual events, but there's there are uh, uh, processes that have been put in place that were reactionary uh, based on the, the, the circumstances of the last uh, 10, 11 months or so. Um, but there's some of those things that are going to hang around. Uh, are, there, are there things that you've done at the, at the Peace Bridge or, or that, that uh, Ken has done up in Niagara Falls that uh, um, maybe were things that had been talked about, uh, processes, technologies, and things that are actually going to stick around for the better uh, as we go forward? Yeah, well, just, just because there was a pandemic hasn't changed some of the initiatives that we're undertaking in terms of some of the pre-inspection, pre-clearance things for the commercial commercial side and, and doing some of that planning work that's, uh, that, that's necessary. So, so, so that continues and, it's, and in some ways, and you've heard this throughout both Canada and the United States that you know things like transportation projects. Um, we've had a bridge painting program underway, for example, and completion of the bridge rehabilitation. All of those things um, were actually positively impacted by having less traffic because it's easier to get things done. And actually, our painting pro pro project is actually ahead of schedule as a result of having less traffic. However, that doesn't no means that. By no way am I suggesting that that's an overall net benefit because it's not. Um, we obviously plan for traffic being on the bridge and in our plazas throughout all of our capital projects. So um, we'd much rather plan around traffic than the other way around. Sure. Kate, sure. Sure. Okay, let me ask you, I mentioned earlier the, um, uh, the, the panel that we held back in, I, I believe it was May, it might have been April, but, but in the spring, uh, where we put together a, and a number of people on the call were, were on this panel, where we put together the letter that was sent to the uh, federal reps. 
Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to go over all the all the recommendations on there, but I just want to kind of check in. How are those recommendations holding up? And are they, you know, are they still the uh, uh, the crux of the of the advocacy going forward? And you're on you're on mute, Kate. Sorry, I I had to cough. <laughs> so no, that's that's a great question, Craig. And to your point, um, no, I, I would say I would say that the recommendations that we set forth in our letter to representatives on both sides of the border are probably um, not well. Uh, I, I was going to say not particularly relevant, um, except for our recommendation to have border operators receive uh, federal and or state provincial assistance in order to maintain operations. Um, I would say that recommendation is still relevant. Uh, you know, a lot has changed since we held that roundtable. And I do think it's time that we hold another one and um, get that input and that feedback from border stakeholders um, for those ideas, like everybody has just suggested in order to ensure that, um, you know, when the time is right, policymakers, you know, have, have an, uh, oh, what do you want to say, like a 90% baked cake, right, where they just maybe have to tweak it a little bit, bake it a little bit more, but um, they won't have to do a super huge lift. And again, to, to um, a point made, I made earlier, that it reflects the realities of um, stakeholders in the border regions along the um, northern border. So, so uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we need to uh, pull the band back together again and, and I can reach out to uh, Charles and um, make that happen. Sure, and I think there's a lot of people on this call that would be willing to <laughs> willing to participate in that. I want us. It's it's two forty five. I want to I want to start to bring it home, and I want to I want to give each of you the opportunity to answer uh, uh, two questions. The one I want to start with is, um, and maybe Anthony, I can start with you. Is uh, if you had uh, decision makers in Ottawa and Washington sitting right here listening to you, what would what what would you say to them? <laughs> Um, well, this is a, a public call, so I'll keep it. I'll keep it. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep it uh, sane. Um, I think you know Catherine uh, brought up a good point. The relationship's complicated uh, with the uh, the early uh, uh, stages of the Biden administration and and how that relationship plays out federally. I, I shared with you earlier that Congressman Higgins has been a champion for the northern border for for many years, and we enjoy a great, great relationship with him and. He's been advocating for, for, for many years uh, the, the strength of this relationship, uh, specifically around uh, our binational relationship where we are. But you know, I, I would say to them uh, that there are some considerations that if you want to advance or, or create and send some signals on the reset, uh, I would say putting some, some resources and some protocols around that initial conversation we had in May. I mean, I shared this point back in May that the Buy America uh, uh, component was going to be an issue uh, relative to recovery and capital dollars that were going to go around that. That didn't seem to, to resonate. Uh, uh, I would ask them why. Uh, I think that's an important part of this. And I understand 
the complications, but I think there's some signals that could be sent to to both uh, champions of those administrations that public health policy around the northern border is important. I think that their idea or their notion about how we plan for the recovery and working closer. And I think this North American perimeter, security perimeter conversation needs to re-engage uh, because you know we're, we're feeling the effects of globalness and, and I think we're stronger together. And I think this, this notion of this border between Canada and the United States uh, being this divide, uh, I think the, the real issue is entry into North America. And I think from that perspective, we need to emphasize a little bit more about our security measures around North America because that affects us all. And I think that's something I think that they should look at if they want to look at advancing some of these notions around a reset. Absolutely. Yeah, nobody, nobody's talking about the Canadian strain or the American strain. The, the, these strains keep showing up from different places because people continue to travel into North America. You're right. Um, Ron, Ron, same question. You've got the, you've got the Ottawa and Washington listening. What, what, what's your, what's your chief talking point to them? I think my, I think the key thing I would say is there's gotta be a little more flexibility based on good science and the ability to allow some limited movement with the appropriate controls. Um, so like I said before, uh, is there a means by which property owners on either side of the border can, can at least do some limited travel? Um, at least it's a, you know, there was some flexibility shown previously by the Canadian government for family members in terms of reunification. So, so I think there is some flexibility that needs to be sh that needs to be shown, not in terms of just carte blanche, based on some perhaps some testing protocols that if you do get tested that you can that, that, that you can in fact uh, cross cross the border. So that would be that would be my words. Um, show some flexibility based on perhaps more of a regional scientific approach. Okay. Uh, um, uh, thing what you said before about. I can cross, but but you commit to a certain activity while you're crossing the border. Uh, I wonder if that would be an interesting piece to put into a into a recommendation, uh, Kate. If 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 you want to you want to talk about the same uh, the same question there, uh, what are you saying? Well, I, so I would I would um, actually suggest a couple of different things. Uh, I I would suggest that. Uh, we don't wait until the, you know, the perfect um, ideal situation. And as Ron suggested, maybe we have phase, a phased in approach, right? Um, identify based on science, very low risk individuals, whatever that means, and allow them to begin to cross the border. So I think a phased in approach would be important. Um, I think that, uh, what else would I say to policymakers? Oh, I would, I would actually, uh, well, first I'll, I'll finish with the federal and then I'll, I do think that there's a role for state and provincial leaders if they were interested. Um, but just going back one more thing with regard to um, federal leadership in both countries is, you know, to reactivate or reset the trilateral North American Leaders Summit this is to Anthony's point. Um, that's something that sort of fell by the wayside during the Trump administration. I think that if uh, the United States sent a signal 
uh, that it were interested in reestablishing this summit, um, that that would be a great forum for Canada, the US and Mexico to think about a North American approach. I think the challenge with that is Mexico. Like right now, uh, like there, um, there are a lot of folks who aren't really optimistic that the US and Mexico are going to have a great relationship uh, over the next four years. So that might be a little challenging, but then getting back to the state provincial um, level, you know, uh, premiers and governors have been working together in other regions to come up with solutions that are under their jurisdiction in order to help ease the border restrictions. Um, you know, uh, recently Maryland and yeah, Maryland and Ontario came up with an agreement on um, procurement as a means to get around by America, right? So there are creative things that states and provinces can do if the leadership were so inclined. Hey, do you know if, if, uh, if, if Pinwar, I'm assuming they're having these, these similar conversations, which is the Pacific Northwest Economic Region. Have you, have you spoken with them? Are they, are they working on similar conversations and initiatives? Yeah, oh, oh absolutely. Um, I mean, they're just, they're just like really, I think ahead of the pack. Um, they, they've been you know, working on this you know, over the last eight months or so coming up with um, you know, a lot of different uh, policy recommendations and proposals. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, they're, they're working on it. Thanks. So uh, like I said, we're gonna start to, start to wrap this up. I had one more question I wanted to get from everybody and it's, uh, it's uh, your takeaway to the companies or the companies and the, and the people listening today because we have a few different uh, stakeholder groups. We have tourism, we have business, we have, uh, we have the homeowners uh, and a, you know, a large uh, array of, of uh, border crossers. Um, Anthony, maybe if I can start with you, your takeaway, really what should people be watching for? What should be pe people be paying attention for over the, to over the next uh Unfortunately, however long it's going to be, but let's say over the next couple of months, what what should they be keeping an eye out for on the border? I, I think, you know, when you say border, it automatically conjures up the two federal jurisdictions. And I think uh, the it allows the province and allows the state of New York to disengage from that conversation. And I'll be honest with you, health is a provincial jurisdiction here in Ontario. And I think if you don't involve Ontario in those discussions, along with the federal discussions, you're not going to have any meaningful conversation. Right. I think the province is an absolute critical player on this, despite the fact it's a border issue. I think if you characterize it as a border issue, they'll become disengaged. I think it's a public health issue. I think we, as a community, and I think we have great relationships as evidenced by this phone call, that the dialogue leads to other conversation. And, and, and I, I think at the end of it, if it's just conversation, I mean, I think that's good, but at the end of the day, it's not very meaningful. We're not going to move the needle. I think we have to get and invite some policymakers and decision makers to actually listen to some of these concerns, answer to some of these issues, and advance some of them. Uh, because in the absence of any of this really making its way to those decision makers provincially and federally, and in the state of New York, uh, uh, from the state and the federal government, we're not going to move the needle or provide anything meaningful. We're going to sit and wait and hopefully get to the point where we have herd immunity and now they can say we've opened the border. But the reality is we've got protocols in place now for travel 
as Ron suggested, for commercial traffic, for airport traffic that exist. Let's take those protocols that exist, that work, that have been accepted by both countries, and let's apply them at land border crossings. Uh, thanks, Anthony. Yeah, and there's a lot of damage that can be done by the time you wait for the uh, the perfect scenario. Uh, Kate, let me ask you. Let me let me uh, get your your final comments here on on to the folks on the on the call. Um, what should they be thinking about? What should they be paying attention to? Well, I would I would say that if this issue is really super important to you, uh, please reach out to Craig and let him know so that you will have a seat at the table when we hold the brainstorming session. Uh, you know, with folks um, in terms of feeding ideas to, you know, various levels of government, um, you know, you know, whether it's state, provincial, or, or both federal governments. I, I really am encouraging those of you who are in the trenches uh, and who have great ideas to, um, uh, you know, feed, you know, to participate in, in some of the um, uh, initiatives that you know, Craig and I and Brock University are, are going to um, be engaged in over the next couple of months. Thanks, Kate. And that everybody, please do. I just uh, I just dumped my email address into the into the chat window, um, and we can. Uh, if you please feel free to email me if you'd like to be in, involved. Uh, Ron, uh, final thoughts on on uh, your your you're seeing the people crossing the border at the at the closest level. So what, what, what should people be watching for? I think it's gonna be important to watch and see what happens as a result of President Biden's executive order and how meaningful the discussions are going to be between the US and the Canadian, and the Canadian government. Um, my fear is that there's not going to be alignment between Canada and the United States and that a few months from now, as we approach herd immunity, they'll start talking about the border. And by then it'll be too late. We will have lost another, another tourism season. And uh, those discussions really have to happen now. And there's, in my opinion, there needs to be some form, and, and Anthony alluded to it, some form of limited opening of the border that adopts some best practices that are currently already in place. Yeah, I, th I think, uh... Some folks that I talked to, I think that uh, um, the interaction this week, or even though it wasn't really an interaction, but the uh, the Biden's 14-day uh, request for a plan, and then uh, the Prime Minister uh, with the, uh, the the more more restrictions on travel coming right after each other. I don't know if they um, didn't seem like it was any kind of stage politics, but I think it caught people off guard that it wasn't quite as smooth as, as we might have expected. Um, well, thank you to all three of you uh, for a great, great conversation. I, it, it's, it's pretty clear we have homework to do. Um, anything up and, you know, from, from recommendations uh, all the way up to uh, trying to, trying to encourage uh, the two countries to have, have some sort of summit, which I think is probably the, the best answer. But uh, we appreciate all three of you taking some time and weighing in and giving your thoughts and, and expertise here. Um, we have a great panel, again, uh, lined up for next week. Mike Cassell just asked me, when are we going to hear from Pat Whalen? We're going to hear from Pat Whalen next week, Mike. Um, so our panel next week is the user border user panel, which is Pat Whalen from Trek. Uh, Dean Wood from BorderWorks, Eileen Martin from Lippus Matthias Wexler Friedman, and Gary Pollard from uh, Pollard Windows. 
So we're really looking for that different line of questioning, different perspectives, but uh, but uh, but same topic. So um, appreciate you being here. Thanks to uh, Dolores at the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce. Thanks to Corey at the Niagara USA Chamber of Commerce. Thanks to all of you from World Trade Center, Buffalo, Niagara. And uh, we hope to see you next week. Again, it's another another free webinar. Please feel free to forward the link to uh, to people to get them involved. And, and obviously from this conversation, the more people we have involved, the more voices, uh, the more advocacy we can do, the stronger that message is gonna be. So thanks everybody for being here and thanks again to our speakers.